You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. All right. Actually, you know what? I just noticed that I start every podcast by saying the word all right. Uh, I'm going to stop that. Anyway, all right, welcome to the Resilient Humans <laughs> Podcast. Maybe next time. Uh, welcome back. I have Ingrid here with me. We're actually going to talk about a uh, topic today that is important, and that is nutritional resiliency. Ooh. Wow. That's a great topic. Yes. And it's also one that is vast and also has as many opinions as there are stars in the sky. If you ask anybody on the street what you consider good nutrition, you're going to get a thousand different answers from a thousand different people. So how do you sort through them all? Oh boy. Well, we're going to try our best here to, uh, to do that. Um, I have, I've been coaching people with nutrition now for, well, going on 14 years. Um, it started with myself personally kind of experimenting with uh, some different diets and just seeing what works. And I guess my, I guess the, the definition of what is successful or what works is different for every person. And that would really determine what type of, you know, nutrition plan or diet plan that you're, you're following. Uh, a lot of people that come to the gym here, they're, most of them are interested in losing weight, right? And I hate using the, the word weight because it's not really their goal. They say it is because that's what, that's what society says, right? It's what our scales measure it's, is our weight. But they're actually interested in fat loss. There's a big difference between those two. If you want to lose weight, just cut your leg off. You'll go down in weight. <laughs> it won't be the most effective way to do it, but it's, it's certainly an option, right? So when we talk about weight loss, we really want to talk about fat loss. And... There are obviously other people that use nutrition to fuel their performance, uh, to also gain muscle. So there's lots of different goals and then different strategies to target what those goals are. Some people are training for very specific events, uh, so they might have to actually cut weight in order to meet uh, a certain you know, weight class or a standard that they have to, have to perform to. Um, so today, though, we're really just focusing on eating for uh, health and we'll just say health. We're, we're eating for health. And that's what I believe most of the people uh, listening to this would, would also fall in that, that same bucket or that same category. Uh, so when I, I guess, back up here, when I first started uh, doing CrossFit, I really didn't have a nutrition plan prior to that. Uh, my very first one was called the Zone Diet. Uh, have you heard of that before? Sure. It's yeah. part of the uh, level one training for CrossFit. Right. They, they briefly talk about it now. It used to be a very large portion of the uh, CrossFit level one back in the day. Um, basically, you take your, your three macronutrients, your carbs, proteins, and fats. You figure out these blocks, which is just uh, a grouping of those uh, macronutrients, and you eat that amount throughout the day. And I, I still have my journal somewhere. I don't know if it's here in the gym or not, but it's somewhere um, of a year of me doing the zone. And I remember 
I used the zone to not change my body at all because I was a pretty skinny kid back then. Um, but I used it for my performance and I remember improving my 5k run by five minutes after doing the zone for just like three or four months. It was crazy. That is crazy. How, how's that possible? How can your food make you run faster? I didn't get it. (laughs) I was blown away by it. Um, have you ever had any experiences with diets and, and kind of what, what resulted from it? Um, Yes and no. Um, I've experimented with tracking my food a few times uh, in consultation with you, of course. Um, I didn't find it a super sustainable practice for me. Of course, what we're going to, I'm sure what we're going to end up talking about is practices that are sustainable. Um, But I did practice tracking my food for some time. And what I gained out of that was sort of a bit of a better knowledge of what a good eating day looked for me so um, now I find after spending some time doing that I tend to know when I've eaten a little bit off track and um, at the end of the day I kind of can look back and say yeah that was a healthy eating day or you know maybe I pushed the envelope here and there yeah I liked what you said about the the it's not sustainable. And so that kind of leads us into, there's kind of two, I want to call it a spectrum. There's a spectrum here. There's one end of the spectrum that is very precise. You're weighing and measuring everything. You're tracking everything. That's kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum would be what we would call uh, intuitive eating, right? You just kind of eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, kind of stuff like that. There's definitely a middle ground, and that's where we'll spend kind of a lot of our time on on today's podcast uh, talking about that middle ground. But what I do want to go over is that sometimes it is okay to go on both ends of that spectrum. You mentioned it. uh, Tracking is really just a tool. It's an opportunity to create awareness. And that's what you said. You when you were tracking, you were more aware of the things that you were putting in your body. I think that's the main takeaway of tracking for a lot of people. It's just to get a good baseline as to where you currently are. So without changing your day, let's try some tracking. Let's see what that looks like. So you can weigh and measure and do all the things that you normally do and then see where you land and be like, oh man, I didn't realize that I'm eating a thousand calories in fat in one day. That's just my average, right? Wow. Okay, so now we have some data and then we can kind of use that data to make some more informed decisions to change not just the numbers, but the actual foods. We don't eat numbers. We eat food, right? So it always has to go back to that real life practical application of that knowledge. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Cool. Um, so yeah, you mentioned again, it's not a... Tracking is really not sustainable, and I would never have a client want to track forever. That's not the point. I had somebody in this morning, actually, and we were talking about training tools. Um, and I, I used tracking. Like People often use MyFitnessPal as their, their tracking tool for nutrition. That's what you used in the past, right? That's right. Um, when I was learning how to run, most people think that running is just innate. Like You just know how to do it but it's actually not true. So I used my Vibram five fingers. 
They're a very minimalist shoe. They're like toe, toe shoes. Uh, there's a very thin layer of rubber between the bottom of your foot and the pavement. And I use that to help me to retrain myself or to become more aware of how to run properly. So then when I would put my regular shoes or running shoes back on, it carried over. I was able to sustain that, that idea after using that training tool. And this is the same idea. You use that tracking tool like MyFitnessPal, weighing and measuring your food as a tool for a certain amount of time to learn, and then you take it away. Now, how do you take it away? Is it like cold turkey? <laughs> I guess it's different for different people. I just took it away. Okay. I went cold turkey and just thought, okay, I've done it enough that I know what X number of calories and macronutrients look like for me in general. I don't have to be hitting 100% every day to feel successful. I just wanted to know what a more balanced day looked like for me. And I feel like spending some time doing that has definitely given me a good basic you know, knowledge of what that looks like day to day. Right on. What I would suggest to clients though, and I'll ask you this, mm. there's seven days in a week. Mm. What are the days of the week where you are more likely to be consistent with your nutrition? Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> Some people would also say Thursday Sometimes and part Thursday, of Friday. Maybe part of Friday. It right. definitely goes bad by Friday afternoon. For sure. But it's generally the weekday where people are pretty consistent. You know, you're you're probably eating the same type of breakfast. Your lunches are packed. Uh, your suppers generally planned out. It's because pretty... people are following their schedules. Absolutely. And obviously, when does it go not to plan on the weekend yeah, so it's burn that house right down usually starts friday yeah exactly <laughs> uh so it usually starts friday maybe thursday and goes definitely into sunday right mm -hmm. and so when we talk about tracking and weaning off of it i tell people stop tracking during the week because you're already doing pretty good it's the weekend and usually people do the opposite they're like oh, i'm going to track during the week and then kind of not on the weekend, they'll, they'll cool off or they'll, they'll let it, let it slide. Right. But that's really when a lot of damage, I guess, can occur. Well, it's almost 29% of the week. Ugh. Yeah. So come on, 30% of your week is the weekend. That's yeah. a big chunk. Yeah. I don't think people see it that way. You can look, it's, it's like uh, your bank account. If you don't keep track of your spending, you're going to go bankrupt. You're going to go broke. So if you're spending, AKA eating whatever the hell you want on the weekends, you're going to break the bank, AKA your waistline. Yep. Right. Or your health, your health is definitely going to take a hit if, if you just go free for all on the weekend. So that's why I recommend to people don't track during the week because you're already doing it. Well, just track on the weekends and it, can be strict, it can be loose, but at least it's going to create some awareness. Oh, I actually snack more on the weekends, or I actually eat out a lot more on the weekends. And this is, again, information that you have that you can use to make future decisions, make future plans, right? I eat breakfast on the weekends. You do not? What? <laughs> I actually eat breakfast on the weekends. Like now? Yeah, usually. Okay. I'm home. That's new. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Right on. I find I'm likely to eat a lot more in the morning when I'm at home than if I just get up and go to work. So I know for for my personal um, schedule, it's different on the weekend. Right on. That's one end of the spectrum. Tracking and weighing and measuring everything. Um, again, used as a tool. Um, I would say bring it in and out as needed. Not something that's sustainable. Now, the other end of the spectrum is intuitive eating. Eat when you feel like it. Stop when you're full. That is great in theory. Uh, but there's something in our bodies that kind of screw that up. And that's called hormones. Oh, I was going to say emotions. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's part of it too. Um, some foods have different effects on our body, uh, particularly uh, carbohydrates. We tend to be... We tend to overeat those more easily because it doesn't give us the feeling of fullness. Uh, I use Pringles as an example. What is Pringles' uh, motto or, or logo uh, saying? Oh, once you pop, you just can't stop. Yes, Woo, yes. I got it right. That is hormonally true. <laughs> right? Even more true since they say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, it's true. How much... How much ice cream could you eat in one sitting? A lot. Why? Because uh, nobody's there to tell me not to. <laughs> because it goes down easy and it doesn't fill me up. Right. It's Yeah. It's just, There's there no... seems to be a limitless amount of room in there for ice cream. 100%. But if I sat down to eat a chicken. Right. That was my next question. What, what is... <laughs> How much chicken can you eat in one sitting? Not a lot. Six ounces. There you go. Okay, that's that's your max. <laughs> that's right. my max. Uh, so that's that's hormones at work. So it's basically your your body is releasing a hormone that's saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm full. Take it easy." And that's that's when you eat protein. So this is kind of all leading into the, our, our talk later on about our five top strategies to kind of help you with with your nutrition. Now, those are those two extremes. My intuitive eating tracking everything and there's something in between and it's kind of what my personal uh i hate calling it a diet plan because it's not it's not a diet plan it's just how i eat and my diet plan is called don't eat like an asshole that's it simple sounds so simple it right it really does yeah hmm. so here here's it in practice if i sit down to eat okay i'll give a real life example because it just happened uh I go over to my parents' house every Sunday for supper. It's just a, a weekly tradition that we do. And usually mom cooks something, you know, pretty healthy. It's, it's usually some type of protein source and individually cooked vegetables, which I'm not a huge fan of. I do not enjoy individually cooked vegetables. I like them when they're mixed up and I can't really taste one over the other. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, on the weekend, her deep freeze uh, bit the dust. AKA my dad blew a fuse and everything in the freezer was ruined. So Sunday morning she wakes up, she goes in to take stuff out of the freezer and everything's raw. Oh my God. Completely ruined. Anyway, we asked her if uh, uh, Holly could come over and spend the day because we had some work to do. And she goes, yeah, but if she comes over, she's going to help me clean the freezer. And Holly's like, yay. <laughs> she loves helping. So Anyway, needless to say, we did not have a home-cooked meal on Sunday. So when we called, mom called at like 4, 4.30, and she goes, yeah, we're having pizza for supper. Okay. 
So with that in mind and with my don't eat like an asshole at this moment in time, I did not control. I did not have the opportunity to control the quality of the food that was being served for supper. But what did I have control over? How much of it you were going to eat? Correct. I had total control over the quantity. How much pizza could I have eaten? <laughs> probably a lot. Right. Yeah. I can I know. pound back pieces <laughs> of pizza like nothing, right? So probably four pieces of pizza. She had garlic fingers there and I could probably eat half of one of those very easily, right? I knew that I did not want to eat like an asshole. So I had two pieces of pizza and a few pieces of garlic fingers and that was it. Were you just as happy? I left happier because I didn't feel like an asshole. Right. <laughs> I didn't feel like a sack of shit because I was satisfied. And that's the point. So that's kind of what the idea of not eating like an asshole is, is eating until you're satisfied. And that requires, actually, this is a great segue, into the number one strategy uh, for nutrition. And that's eating slowly. It's, we call this an anchor habit. If everything else in your diet goes to shit, if you eat slowly, you can still make progress. Have you had that talk with any of your clients? I had that talk with a client just this morning. Tell me about that. Well, I, she was asking me about what we were going to do next. And I was asking her about what we were going to do next. And that is something that we haven't really talked about. Um, but I told her about my little adventure just this past week in mindful eating. Um, I fall prey to the habit of eating quickly. Uh, I grew up in a big family with a lot of boys at the table and it was always, you know, a race for the seconds and a race for what's left over. And, you know, I still have teenage boys that still happens in my house. Um, also, you know, working for a long time as a busy teacher like I just I just inhale food so in order to walk the walk as a nutrition coach and I'm a new new nutrition coach so I'm trying to try out lots of different things to see what works for me uh, I decided to try to eat mindfully and just decided to take the bite slowly and see if I could just savor every little taste every little texture until the bite was gone and what I noticed right away is that I was completely unable to do that because the bite that I had taken was far too big yep. <laughs> I remember you telling me about this I just I couldn't even sort through the bite like there was no way I had to swallow half of it down before I could even sort of sort through it and recognize in my mouth what those things were that were in my mouth the second thing that I noticed was that I was eating a bite with the next bite perched and ready on the fork, ready to go. So before I even swallow a bite, my focus is already on the next one. And I also noticed that with things that I eat uh, handfuls of, like nuts and things like that. I'll take the entire handful and I'm eating them, looking at the rest of them. So what I've tried to do is take a bite put the fork down, sit back, enjoy it. When it's time for another bite, pick up the fork. Now, I had this chat with a girl this morning, and we have similar issues. She said, oh, my gosh, that's going to be the biggest challenge yet. 
and you know she's tried lots of things she's tried you know she's done her meal meal prepping she's done a lot of different work on on her nutrition and her habits and her her mindset but for this one she said this is going to be the biggest biggest challenge yet um and i would say it is for for some of you as well I know that I haven't particularly honed my skill of eating mindfully, but now that I've experimented with it, I've learned a lot about myself and what I need to do to just kind of back up the truck a little bit and treat food for what it really is, which is fuel for my body. Love that. And you you already touched on it. So, okay, back up for one second. <laughs> Why is eating slowly one of these strategies what what is it going to do for us so the main benefit is that if you eat slow so i'm gonna back up again again again. uh there's a hormone that's released once we eat food and that's leptin ghrelin is a hormone that tells us when we're hungry when we should eat once we eat the hormone releases leptin and that tells our brain when we are full and when we should stop eating or slow down anyway it takes so there's a connection here. There's a, a gut to brain connection. That connection takes at least 20 minutes to occur. So if you eat less your meals in less than 20 minutes, your brain hasn't had the signal yet to tell its its body that, that it's full. So you really need to slow that down for that connection to happen. The other benefit is digestion. So what you are eating when you eat slowly, you're actually actually digesting it more. You're receiving or absorbing more nutrients from the food that you're eating. So you're not literally wasting because <laughs> that's what's coming out the other side. You're not wasting those nutrients that you're putting in your body. So people often talk about, oh, I'm, you know, if, if they say they're low on energy, one of the first questions I'll ask is how quickly are you eating? And if it's if they're a fast eater, slowing down will actually help provide more energy to them because they're absorbing those nutrients. That's excellent. Is that why I need a nap after supper sometimes? Possibly. (laughs) So there's other factors obviously, but that's, that could be one of them anyway. Uh, so tips and tricks. You already mentioned one, you talked about putting your fork down. That is literally the number one easiest strategy to do. Oftentimes when we're eating, we do what's called shoveling. We shovel food into our mouths. And like you said, you always had that next bite ready to go right when you were done or maybe even not done the first bite. It was, you were still masticating, right? Yep. Um, another strategy is, uh, eating with your non-dominant hand. That's a good one. It really forces you to slow down because you're not used to it. You're actually trying to build a different neural connection. Uh, it's a new skill. So eating with your non-dominant hand is a very quick, quick trick. The other one is chopsticks. Yep. That's, that's how you do it, man. Oh man. I eat far better and far slower when I use chopsticks. I'm wondering, so I know this is a a fact who, in what country do people live the longest in the world? Uh, Japan. It is correct. There are more centarians in Japan than any other country in the world. I'm wondering if it's a result of eating slowly. I'm sure there's a ton of other factors involved. There's some cultural things. Um, you know, they're not sitting for long periods of time in, in cushy chairs and stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering. That might be a part of it. Do you think there could also be a cultural correlation between, you know, um, the importance of sitting down to a meal rather than eating on the fly? Possibly. 
yeah anyway something to something to look into yeah uh and one of the other strategies would be to use a timer now i mentioned earlier about the 20 minutes that may be totally unrealistic for you and again we're going back to this collecting data what i would suggest you to do is to put a timer down don't change anything and see how long it takes you to eat each meal so breakfast on average how long do you currently take to eat it might be six minutes well going from six minutes to 20 minutes that's that's a stretch it's going to be very uncomfortable so what i would suggest is if you know your average is six for breakfast next time try eight how much how challenging does that sound not as reasonable mm -hmm. right oh i can add two a minutes. next step we all have an extra two minutes in our day no problem right and that's what i want my clients to feel like when they leave here oh yeah no that's no problem i can do that that sounds easy if somebody tells me that oh that sounds easy then i've hit the jackpot then i know we're going to make progress but if they leave and say mm, i'm not sure that sounds hard we've gone too far right so that's using a timer but finding out where you are and slowly increasing the amount of time until you get at or above that 20 minutes and that might take weeks or possibly months before you get to that so i'm gonna have people come on here and say oh yeah but my job's really busy and i don't really have time to sit and eat i hear that from teachers all the time i don't think i sat down for a lunch in 10 years of teaching 100 percent. that is one meal of the day you have two others there's still breakfast there's still supper so do what you can with the time that you have if it's busy in your teaching uh, nurses the same thing they said sometimes i eat in the doorway i'm literally standing in a doorway between one job and the next and i'm just shoveling food into my mouth and then i'm off to the next thing totally fine you're not going to change that time that's you do what you can with the time that you have do you have time at breakfast to slow down yes that's that time is more available then focus your energy on that don't try to change things that aren't going to change that's going to lead to frustration and you're going to throw your hands up in the air and say i give up and this is the biggest thing the biggest takeaway is progress over perfection it's that idea of all or nothing if all of my meals can't be 20 minutes then screw it i'm not doing any of them at 20 minutes oh now that's sad yes progress over perfection yes all right one is better than none correct that was a long time on strategy number one and i think <laughs> it's important though because that is again an anchor habit if everything else i talk about after this doesn't go well fall back on eating slowly you could find yourself at mcdonald's through the drive-through whatever eat it slowly no matter what and i guarantee you probably won't finish it because you'll start to taste what it actually tastes like and you'll be like yeah i don't even like this it only tastes good because we eat it fast Oh, that's what fast food means. It has nothing to do with the speed in which it's ordered. It's the speed in which you have to eat it for it to taste good. Kevin Wood blowing my mind. All right. Strategy number two. It's kind of piggybacking off of uh, the first habit of eating slowly. And I would say it's easier to do when you eat slowly. And that is eat to 80% full. And by the way, all of these are very basic. I, I, these are what I've learned in my, my precision nutrition courses. Um, when we can dial in these first two habits, none of the other stuff really matters. It's all just 
kind of micromanaging or fine tuning things. If we get these first two eat slowly, eat to 80% full, we're off to the races. We're definitely going to see progress. So what, what does that mean to you? Eat to 80% full. Ooh, well, for me, in order to, well, real, for me, really, in order to recognize I'm 80% full, I need to slow down. Um, but it means the feeling of not really needing more. Um, I feel satiated, but I don't feel uncomfortable. That's, I don't need to yes. lie down. There you go. So we all know what 110% full is. Yeah. What does that feel like? Yucky. It feels like a big lump in my belly. When would you normally feel that after what special meal of the year? Just a couple. Christmas time. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Sometimes at restaurants because I just, you know, want to eat so delicious. I just have to have more bites even though I know I probably shouldn't. All you can eat buffets. Oh. I'm going to 120. Yeah, really. <laughs> right? <laughs> you feel like when you think that you have to undo a belt loop because you ate too much, that's, that's 110% full. You've gone too far, right? Yeah. And you can tell because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. You just, you want it to be over. We also know what a hundred percent feels like. That's when you're like, I don't think if I ate one more, I might be sick, right? If I eat one more bite, that's going to put me over the limit. So we know, we know what a hundred percent is. So because we know those, we just stop before we get to that point. It's, this is a skill. It takes practice and it takes a lot of observation and reflection. So you can, you have your meal and then, you know, 20 minutes after the meal is done, you ask yourself, or even 10 minutes after you ask yourself, how satisfied am I on a scale of one to 10? I'm a 10. Oh, I'm at a hundred percent. I've gone a little bit too far. Next meal, now try it again. Oh, that feels like a six. I still feel hungry, like I, I could eat some more. Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. We're collecting this data. We're finding out what 100% feels like, what 60%, and you're finding out what that 80% feels like. It's gonna be different for everybody, that's fine, but it's a personal experimentation that you're, that you're doing, a personal, personal experiment. I like it, I like it a lot. It sounds simple. It does. I'm thinking to myself, there are lots of times where I probably eat to 80% full, but because I'm used to eating more, there's that, oh, I think I still have room. Oh, I, uh, maybe I want a snack. Maybe I want something else. Maybe I want a second. Um, so I think the more you practice knowing that, and the more used to doing it, I think you just have to do it a lot of times. Yes. There is one very simple trick or strategy to help with this, and that's to use uh, smaller plates. Right. Our plate sizes have grown uh, dramatically over the last 50, 60 years. Um, we are, so I, I talked about this the other day, actually. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a large plate, a medium plate, and a small plate, and you fill them, if you have different people eat different sizes plates, what's the average amount on that plate? What percentage of the food on the plate will they eat from the large, the, the medium, and the small, regardless of the size? Uh, I'm going to go with 85%. Nin 92%. 92%. You'll eat 92% of what's on your plate. Regardless of size. Regardless of the size. Interesting. 
So just eat a smaller plate. What they found was that those between the large and the medium had the same level of satisfaction. The, the people that ate 92% of the medium plate, which is on whole less volume than 92% of a large plate, were not feeling a sense of hunger afterwards, even though they ate less. And that goes to show that we eat with our eyes, right? Yeah. We, look, we just look, oh, I ate most of my plate. It has nothing to do with that, the feeling or the, the hormones involved. It's like, oh, I ate, you know, pretty much all of my food. I feel pretty good. So if you use a smaller plate, you can actually kind of like mind hack it almost. Mm-hmm. You're, you're tricking your eyes into thinking that you're satisfied and you actually are. That's actually really useful for some of us who were raised to clean the plate. Um, a client and I just talked about this this morning, how her dad and my dad used to say, eat it or wear it. Or you have to sit at the table no matter how long it takes till you eat all your vegetables. You have to clean the plate, even if all those plates were the exact same size. Which Correct. Right? So there's a lot of things that we've, some of us have grown up with that now need to kind of, we have to break through those things. Um, I think choosing a smaller plate would be a much easier way for someone, say, like me, who was taught to eat everything to accomplish. Maybe a couple listeners could, could uh, relate to this as well, but uh, I would often hear, there are hungry kids in Africa that would eat that food. Yeah, good. Well, send them my leftovers because I'm what full. I said. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said. I think that's the moment where I, where I learned how to be sarcastic. I think that was it. That's where my sarcasm was born. Well, fine. Put it in a box and send it down. I don't care. I remember those words being spoken at the dinner table. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's strategy number two. Strategy number three. Put, uh, eat protein with every meal. Now, what's protein? What is it? What's protein? What are some, what are some examples? Oh, uh, eggs. Yep. Uh, lean meats, chicken, fish. Some pork and beef. You can get it from beans, legumes. Yeah. Some dairy. Greek yogurt is where I like to get some in the morning. You're hitting them all. Am I? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Some leafy greens like, uh, you know, spinach, broccoli have, have some smaller amounts, but uh, you can definitely get it from some plant sources. Um, tofu, right? So there's uh, vegetarian options, um, but most most protein will be coming from some type of animal product. Right? Mm-hmm. That's where you get the, the higher concentrations of protein. Why is this so beneficial? Again, protein has the opposite effect of carbs where it will make you feel fuller for longer, which is kind of what we want. We want to have that feeling of satiety kick in so that we're not more likely to overeat. Whereas if we eat just carbs or just fats, Um, we're more likely to keep eating those longer because they don't give us that sense of fullness. So, um, yeah, eat protein with every meal. This is a a lesson that I learned when I did the zone because every meal had to be balanced in your carbs, proteins, and fats. And that is, you know, that's geez, like 13 years ago since I've done the zone or actually longer now. Um, that's one of the lessons that I've kept with me. No matter what I eat, even if it's just a snack, uh, I include some type of protein in the snack. And that's kind of gone with me throughout, throughout the years. 
Um, so yeah, that's a pretty simple one. Uh, to make this more practical, because that's the point of this podcast, is what we have a, a general rule of thumb in our house is to always have two to three cooked protein sources on hand ready to go. And that means like portioned out, not just in a giant bowl or dish. It's individually so that we can just grab and go. Protein is the harder one to do when you're in a rush. If you have to cook a chicken, if you're in a rush, you're not doing it. You're just not. You're going to go for what's fast and easy. Fast and easy for me is cereal. It's just quick, boom, boom, done. I can eat it. Um, so having a protein source cooked, ready to go. And we always try to have again, two or three on hand. You guys kind of, you guys are kind of the same way. Eh? We're kind of the same way. Yep. I do the protein up ahead of time. I don't always have our full meals, uh, prepped. And for us, a meal might look a little different. Like taco night looks different for me than it looks for the kids. Um, but the protein's ready to go. Right on. Yeah. Strategy number four, eat fruits and veg fruits and or veggies at most meals. Um, obviously we all know that this is like, uh, flossing, you know, it's good for you. We just don't always do it. Um, so this is obviously we try to eat the rainbow. There's, there's a variety of colors and that's just giving us different, um, micronutrients and phytonutrients throughout our diet, uh, which may help with uh, a lot of deficiencies. So Colorful fruits and veggies at most meals. I find the hardest one for a lot of people is breakfast. Most people lean towards some type of uh, starchy carb. You know, we'll see bagels and donuts and stuff like that show up or uh, breakfast sandwiches. Um, I'm not saying that's bad. I don't like saying things are good or bad, but things can be better and worse. So a better option might be a fruit smoothie or with throw some veggies in that you can easily hide things that you wouldn't just eat on your on their own nobody just sits down and eats a bunch of kale for breakfast throw it in a smoothie though and now we have something delicious right so personally i love hiding veggies in things because i'm more likely to eat them when they're hidden and i can't actually taste the uh, the actual vegetable mm. i'm a veggie snob <laughs> but I'm a mom. I've been hiding vegetables for years. Yeah. Years. Joanna they don't, makes a they don't know how many vegetables they've eaten. Right. They just don't know. Joanna makes a stir fry sometimes that has a bunch of stuff in it that individually I would literally gag. <laughs> like I would uh, just, uh, I, can, I can just see the vegetables in there. But then I eat them in the stir fry and I'm like, more please. I can't stop. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just a giant five-year-old, so. Well, agree. Uh, that's me. <laughs> Last strategy, um, eat healthy fats. This one gets a little tricky though. We all know a lot of people think that nuts and seeds are a protein source. And while there is protein in our nuts and seeds, it's not the main macronutrient. It's actually a, a fat source. So things, these are things like, um, you know, uh, walnuts, almonds, cashews, um, healthy fats also include some, uh, oils like all extra virgin olive oil. Avocado is another, uh, of option. The butters, the yep. nut butters. Um, these are things that are also easy to overeat. Very much so. Um, peanut butter. Yeah. I so can't. Peanut butter. I call that a, so there's in precision nutrition, there's things called green light, yellow light, and red light foods. I find peanut butter is a yellow light food and it all depends on what type of utensil you use to eat it. 
So if you use a knife to spread it, cool. If you use a spoon to eat it out of the container, not so cool, right? <laughs> That's the fun way. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so it's easy to overeat um, because they're so small. And you, like you said earlier in, in the intro here, you would have a handful, you would eat it, and then you'd be looking at your hand, hand. like, I need to eat more, right? Yeah. So we often have people say, no, I eat really healthy. I eat lots of nuts and seeds. Okay, how much? A container a day. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. You just ate 3,000 calories of fats in a day. That's, that's I never told you about when I was, uh, quote, unquote, trying to lose weight after my first baby by eating trail mix. Okay. How'd that go I for I ate you? a whole shit ton of fruits and nuts. I- it didn't go very well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably do a little damage to your uh, digestion here as well. But <laughs> That was my healthy point. snack. I just didn't know how much of it to eat. Correct. So how much of these, that's kind of where I want to wrap this up, is uh, how much without going down the weighing and measuring and tracking and all that, you know, that's one end. You can certainly do that. But again, not sustainable and not something I would do for a long period of time. But there is a very easy thing to do. Instead of having a kitchen scale, which you may not have with you wherever you go, you will always have this tool with you wherever you go, and that's your hand. So for protein, we would consider a serving as a palm size, both in area and thickness, so the surface area and thickness of your hand. And that is going to be adjusted based on the size of the individual. So a larger individual, their hand is going to be larger, and their protein servings would obviously be larger to match their size. So it's also self-adjusting. Somebody that's smaller with a smaller hand, their protein sources would be slightly smaller, but they're gonna be appropriate for them. So generally, it's one to two palm-sized servings of protein per meal per day. Now, this is obviously gonna depend on how many meals you have. I'm just basing it on the average of three meals a day. So that's for protein. For fruits and veggies, it's the size of your fist. So the volume of your fist, just take a look at it. That's one serving of veggies. So again, one, two, maybe three servings of veggies or fruits per meal. And lastly is fats. And that is the volume of your thumb. It is not a lot. That's like, for me, it would be maybe... That's one tablespoon of peanut butter. Sure. It's like nine almonds for me. My thumb's small. Yeah, you might get... Four or five almonds. <laughs> <laughs> Not a handful? Oh, shit. Yeah. So that's where it gets tricky, right? Like, people are, oh, I'm eating healthy. I have all these nuts. Great. Cool. But you're eating just way too much, right? Now, there is another one. This is your cupped, and that's for your carbohydrates. Those are things like rice and sweet potatoes and whole grains, things like that. We didn't talk about those as one of these top five strategies because I find it's a little more specific to performance. And those are the things that should be eaten in or around your workout sessions or your training sessions, not every single meal. So that's we can talk about that later about performance stuff. Um, But these are our top five strategies for resiliency in eating, resiliency in your nutrition, which will lead to better health. Just as a recap, one, eat slowly, two, eat to 80% full, three, include uh, protein at every meal, Uh, four, fruits and or veggies at each meal, and five, healthy fats at each meal. And those are your five strategies for resilient nutrition. Wow. I like it. This is a great episode. Yeah. 
I feel like I listened to you talk the whole time, but that's okay. No. You love this stuff. This is a and great you're just, topic. You know, you could go all day. I have a, I'm giving a speech on Friday uh, in front of a, um, an employer in the, in the town here, the city asked me to come in. And so this is going to be one of my topics. And it's funny, I was nervous about talking, like, how am I going to fill an hour of dead space talking about fitness, nutrition, mindset? I don't know how long this was. I know it's quite a while, but this was just on the nutrition part. I still get to talk about fitness and mindset too. So just, just doing this has actually helped, um, expel some nerves. Yeah. So I feel more confident. I think I need you there though. You might have to come with me (laughs) just to bounce some. I just don't want all the attention on me. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Again, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you guys tuning in, listening. Uh, I've been receiving a lot of uh, feedback and comments, um, takeaways that people have. So if there's something that you heard and that you plan on putting into effect or, you, you know, something inspired you or lit a fire under your ass, let me know. I love hearing that. And that is helping light the fire for me or keep the, keep the fire going to keep these going. Uh, I'm, I, I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you are too, Ingrid. Oh my gosh. I'm having a great time. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review to catch all the latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.